Good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be with you today on this Sunday prior to when we celebrate the arrival of the Christ. This is our last week in a three-week series we're calling Presence, and uh, I want to cover the, the, the bits of that as we get started this morning. If you've missed that, those are available on our website. You can go grab those and listen to them to get caught up. But we've been focusing on the idea that because of what God has desired from the very beginning of creation, even before creation, before the foundation of the earth was even laid, he has desired to be with us. And we see that he's desired that in the garden when our original ancestors were placed there, that he spent time with them, and then when they rebelled against him, he was putting them out away from him, but the whole time preparing, even there in Genesis 3 where we see that time happen, where they fall away from him, we see even there he promises a future where he will be with them again. And we see him pursuing his people all through time, even to the point when Jesus, the Son of God, fully God who becomes fully man, arrives on the scene about 2,000 years ago. We see that in John 1:14, where he says these words, or the Lord says it to us through the prophet. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what we saw in the Old Testament, all the way through, that God said, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will walk among you. We see now that he is not just doing that through the temple, where we're still separated from him back then, between those who could be gathered around him but not in the Holy of Holies, not actually in the presence of God. Now we see that the Son of God, God himself, has come here to be with us. That's what Emmanuel means. When we celebrate Christmas, we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. We talked about that our first week. And then we led into the next part of that, that he is not only God with us, but he's also come so that we can have him in us. We talked about that last week from a passage of scripture that doesn't seem too Christmassy on the front end, but as we looked at Galatians 2.20, we see that it is Christ that lives in us that determines everything for us as we have been purchased by his sacrifice on the cross to bring us into a good standing with him relationally. Everything in the Bible is about relationship. Everything. It's about our relationship to God and his relationship with us, his people, his creation, And everything hinges on his pursuing us in our sinfulness. That he has come and made a way through Jesus, his son, so that we can be not only with him, but have him in us until he returns for us to be with him, eradicates all the problems, all the worries, all the sin, all the death, all the disease, so that we can be brought back into that relationship with him in a way unhindered completely to enjoy him forever. And now that he has sent his son to be with us, And now that we have become believers, those who have put their hope, faith in Jesus and repented of sin, we now see that God lives in us. Like 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So now it went from being where God was walking in the garden with Adam and Eve to where they were separated from him. And then God was in a place and wherever he, his presence was, that's where people could come to to be with him. To where now, if you have put your hope and faith in Jesus, if you repented of sin and believed on the Christ as your Lord and Savior, you now have God dwelling in you. So wherever you go, you now represent 
the temple. And as we gather, we are the temple. This place is not the temple. This place is not a sanctuary in that way, but we are the sanctuary that God resides in in this place. And today we're going to look at a passage that leads us to understand that it's not just about God being with us and even just being in us, but also that God wills and desires to work through us and has included us in this gospel message that he has proclaimed to the world and that we have a portion and a part to play in that. His desire for us is that wherever we go, he is with you, he is in you, and he wills to work through you. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I've been unable to escape from for a long time, just trying to plumb the depths of it. I think today it's it's kind of a large passage of Scripture that I'm going to read, and we're just going to hit pieces of it as we go through, being true to the text in the context in which it was written. But I encourage you, as you get ready for this time with family and friends as the next few days pass by as you prepare your hearts, the hearts of your family, as you gather together around the table, that this would be something you read, study, think on, ponder on as we get ready to do that so that we don't miss an opportunity, one of the greatest opportunities of the year to actually see God working not just in us, but through us. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. It's a little bit long. Bear with me. Stick with me here. The first few verses, the first one says everything we're going to unpack. We're going to focus more on the latter half, though. Look at this, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, Paul says, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul's right there just to say he's dealing with some false teachers, false leaders that are leading people astray. And he's trying to say, we're not here trying to commend ourselves to you, but we're trying to show you what's really important. They're boasting in what they do outwardly. We're trying to talk about what's been done for us and then what we are to do in light of that. So pick it up in verse 13. For some reason, this verse gives me lots of comfort. We'll talk about it more later. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be 
reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Pray with me. Father, this morning, I am unable, apart from you, to do anything that could change lives. But Lord, you can change lives by your word through the work of your spirit in and through us. So Lord, I pray that you would change all of us. Shape us more and more into the image of the perfect son, your son the one who gave everything so that we might be reconciled back to you in a relationship. Lord, thank you for giving us Jesus. Help us to see how you now want to use us and work in us as we live out the rest of our lives, now and even in eternity, making much of your Son. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but... I've already been caught up and swept up into the Christmas craziness a few times. Uh, it starts way early. In fact, I think this year before even Halloween was over, we had Christmas things going up in the stores, bringing your mind to that, which can be a good thing in a lot of ways. But at the same time, uh, even Thanksgiving was hijacked for me as we were trying to get way ahead of the curve on gifts, you know? Anybody else like that on Black Friday? Just the two of us, Okay. And we were able to accomplish a lot, but even now, as we get closer to that time, as we have time with our family, as we have a little bit of time off, or uh, collecting ourselves, getting ready for the events of Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, it's very easy for us to be caught up in the moment of what we're trying to do with family and what we're trying to accomplish with them as far as getting all the meals ready and thinking through all the things we need, making last-minute runs to the store, which is like insanity in itself. Uh, Making sure we have all the gifts, running through our checklists, right? Making sure that even though everybody's naughty, we're still going to be nice. And all the good things we try to do at this point in time. But I've been trying to plead with God to work in me and plead with God to work in all of us to remind us of really what these opportunities are that God is preparing us for as we gather with people that we may not really hang out with more than once a year or maybe every couple of times in a year very easy for us to be caught up in the stuff and in the events and to miss the whole purpose. And you've heard this over and over and over again, but, but I want you to, to see what really is our ultimate purpose when it comes to other people in our lives. Once you've been bought with the precious blood of Christ, it's no longer you who live, but Christ that lives in you. We talked about it last week, right? So we are not our own. We belong to another, and he has a purpose for us. And he talks about it through this agent, Paul, as he speaks to the church at Corinth, and he's writing to them. In verse 11, we see it laid out very clearly. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So what's he talking about there? What does he mean we persuade others? If you go back to verse 10, you see here what he means by fear of the Lord. Summing up a lot of conversation he's been having, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
that should strike fear in the hearts of all of us. Now, if you know Jesus, if you've been bought with the precious blood of the Savior, then you know that you have been washed clean of these sins, and what you have been due, what you deserve, is what Jesus bore on his shoulders on the cross. And that brings relief. But we still must recognize that understanding what we deserve should bring us some element of fear to make sure we understand that we stand before a holy, righteous, perfectly good God who cannot endure rebellion, who will not endure rebellion. And so he reminds us of that here, and he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Have you prepared yet for how you're going to persuade others when they gather at your table? Have you prepared yet for not just celebrating Christ with us, and not only that he is now in us by his Holy Spirit, but that he has always desired to work through us, in times such as these. You may ask, well, why should I be the one to persuade others? Man, some people in my family are way better Christians than I am. They, they have way better experience. They're way better at arguing the point. Well, I'm going to answer that question for us as we walk through this time together. And I, I just want to lean it in. Look, look back at verse 14 and 15. <clears throat> he says we must persuade others. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. In other words, he's saying the love of Christ controls everything we do. The love of Christ, his love for us, our love for him, it changes everything. It controls us. It restrains us. It, 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 it compels us. The love of Christ controls us because, here's the reason, we've concluded this, we've come to this understanding that one, Jesus, has died for all. Therefore, here's, here's an impact of that, therefore, all have died. That on the cross, as we looked at last week, we have died with Christ. That's what baptism is all about. That we have died with Christ and we've been made new in Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ that lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself up for us. It's no longer us who live, but Christ that lives in us. If you really are a Christian, if you really have been saved, if you really are changed according to this good news about Jesus, then it's the love of Christ that controls us. And that is why we must persuade others. Do you have evidence in your life that the love of God, the love of Christ, controls you? Do you see that you are fighting against your own flesh and saying, no, not what I want, but what he wants? Not what I think I should do, but what he thinks I should do. This should be an ongoing struggle. If there is no struggle, there is not much assurance. Where are you in this place? You see, we've been reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus. We were in rebellion, at enmity, the Bible says. We were enemies with God. And I know that you don't like to say that. <clears throat> Nobody wants to say I was an enemy of God. You just thought, well, I wasn't really following him, but I didn't hate him. I wasn't an enemy. You don't understand. If we are not doing what we're created to do by chasing after him, pursuing him because he's first pursued us, then we are, in other words, rebelling against what we're created to do. We're not yearning to be in his presence. We're not striving to be face to face with him. We have failed to do what we're made to do, and we're doing the opposite, which means that we are enemies of him. This is a truth. It has to sink in, and we have to understand it to some depth to be able to recognize the fact 
that what that means for us then when he sent Jesus is that Jesus then became the one who was the perfect son, who then became the one who took on all the condemnation of the rebellious sons and daughters so that we could be brought back into the family of God. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it or ever could, but simply because God loves us that much. And if that's true, then the love of Christ compels us to persuade others. Romans 14. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. You're not your own. When you gather around the table this Christmas, when you gather around the tree, it's not about you anymore. It's Christ that lives in you. It is Christ in you and Christ who desires to work through you. Look on at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everything's different now. This Christmas is different. All the traditions are different. You may do some of the same things, but they have new meaning. You may act in certain ways that you've always acted, but there should be premises and there should be outflows that are different. You may gather in some of the same ways, but everything is new because you're new. Even if nobody else is different, even though the other events you participate in are different, you're different. You've been made alive and you were dead. It changes everything. Look at verse 18 and on. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So God has reconciled you and me to himself through Christ, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Do you, do, you, do you see what happens here? This is, this is the part that really kind of just kind of unpacks my mind here. All this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that even mean? The word ministry means service. It means serving another, right? So this ministry of reconciliation is meaning we are to serve others by leading them to be, helping them to be reconciled to God as we have been reconciled to God. And God made that possible by reconciling us, and now we've been given the same ministry. He didn't call us just to do something he wouldn't do, to do something for him. He's called us to be a very part of the thing he sent his son Jesus to do. This is our opportunity to be Christ in every situation by seeing others reconciled to him. We see that verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Along with that ministry, it's implicitly included here that the ministry has to include the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. You can't show up at Christmas and just not laugh at the bad jokes and just not participate in the bad things and think people are going to come to Jesus and be reconciled to him. We have to speak the good news. 
We have to be messengers of reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. He goes on in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look, we are ambassadors. Do you know what an ambassador is? Some of you do. Most of you do, right? Ambassadors are people that have been selected by an authority to represent them in a, in a foreign place. Right? So God has sent His Son into the world to bring us back into relationship with Him and then given us a ministry that means we now live here as aliens and exiles, not our place anymore, our place is with Him, and He sends us back out as His ambassadors. Let me clue us into just a few things this means for us. Ambassadors are controlled by the one whom they serve, right? You don't see an ambassador going over to a foreign place under an authority and doing something opposite of what that authority wants them to do, or they won't be an ambassador for very long. Ambassadors do what the person in charge of them tells them to do. They don't have their own agenda. They have their president or their king's agenda. They're not on their own timetable either. You don't have the president of the United States telling one of his ambassadors, get over there and give the gospel, or, you know, whatever it is, give their gospel, their good news, which is not our good news, but give the message, I'm telling you, to that king, to that leader, and they go, yeah, I'll get to that tomorrow. They go right then and there. They don't have their own message either. Ambassadors aren't supposed to be creative. They're just supposed to communicate the message they've been given. That should bring a lot of us relief. We don't have to come up with what to say. We've already been given what to say. And by the way, they're never off duty. An ambassador is always on duty. That person is always ready to do whatever they have to do. They're always ready to represent their authority. He says here in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That means this. He has chosen not to make his appeal through angels. I mean, they're much better suited, right? They show up, people hit the ground. They show up, people, they, they, they quiver in fear. They show up, everybody listens to what they say. But he didn't choose them. He chose you and me to be messengers of reconciliation, to be his ambassadors. And it's not our agenda. It's not what we have planned for Christmas. It's what he has told us to do in every moment that we're around others. Be his ambassadors. It's not our own timetable. It's every opportunity that he opens up a door for us to see what to do for him, we do it. So therefore, we lean into that relationship with him. We, we hear the, the, the word of God, and then we are moved by the Holy Spirit of God to speak however we need to speak, whenever the opportunity arises, sometimes making those opportunities. The ambassador not only waits till he's called into the court, he also does whatever he needs to do on command of the authority. This is not up to you, not up to me. The ministry of reconciliation compels us to proclaim the message of reconciliation on a continual basis. And there is no better time than when we're situated with people who may not want to hear it, but they cannot escape us for an hour to an hour and a half on Christmas morning. There's no better time to connect those dots. They may not come over at Easter, but they're there on Christmas and you get to say, you know what, we're really here? 
not just because of a baby born in a manger, but because of a baby that was born in a manger so that God could be with us, so that he could die for us, so that he could have us with him forever, if we believe in that Savior. This is the perfect opportunity. You and I were made to live in his presence, and now we are called to be his presence Wherever we go, he is with us, and we are given the mandate to bring the message of reconciliation. This this is glorious. It means what I have to do on Christmas? Wherever you go, bring the message of Jesus to the people God puts in your place, in your way. It makes it quite simple. God has reconciled you to save you and to work through you. It's a both and. It's not just to save you. If you think God has reconciled you just to save you alone, then you've missed half the point. He's saving you to bring you close to him so that you can do things with him, to be with him, to be a part of those things, that he can work in and through you so you can see the fullness of joy even here in Christ. And because of the love of Christ, we are compelled not only to be messengers, but actually to beg others to be reconciled to God. Look at verse 20 again. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Look, we implore you, he says to the Corinthians. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. There's just a few imperatives, a few commands in all of these verses. And this is one of them right here. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, we beg you, we beseech you, we ask you. We're asking over and over and over again, we really want you to do this thing. Please, 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 we implore you. On behalf of Christ, here's the command, be reconciled to God. Maybe you've been far from the Lord lately. Maybe you haven't had your time with him. Maybe you've been turning your face away from him. Maybe you haven't seen him face to face in a long time. Maybe you've been delving into sin that has been ripping you away from relationship with God. Now's the time for you to be reconciled to God as well. I mean, how many more things can God put in our face about he came here to have you be with him? He came here to draw you into relationship with him. He came here to draw you in because it's what's best for you. It's what you're created for. It's what he's made you for. It's what he wants for you, the best of all things. Him. Be reconciled to him, brothers and sisters. There's a warning that comes with it. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Working together with him then... We appeal to you, that's another begging term, we appeal to you, he's talking to the church here, he's talking to us as well, even now, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So what does he mean by that, not to receive the grace of God in vain? I believe what he's talking about here, looking at a lot of different folks talk about this in the commentaries that I've read, looking at uh, the text itself. When you look at it and you put it in context, what it seems to be stating is that it is possible for you to have heard the gospel and to then act as if you are a Christian and think that you might be a believer and actually not be a follower of Jesus. It is possible that you've heard the gospel and you responded to the gospel in some way, form, or fashion, even having been baptized, even coming to church, even 
praying prayers to God, even living out your life in a way that you think that you are a believer, and yet you may not be a follower of Christ. And here in this context, specifically, it seems that he's talking about the fact that your job is to be a messenger of reconciliation. And so if you're not living out that job, or if you're not working to be that messenger of reconciliation, then you might be living out that faith in vain. It may not be the faith that is really evident when you come to faith, when you come to be an actual believer in the good news about Jesus. Hey, look at it in context, verse 30, sorry, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We but implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, see, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. He's quoting Isaiah 49. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Here's the other two imperatives. Behold. It's like, look, listen, pay attention right here. That's the imperative. Look right here. Don't miss this. Now is the favorable time he's talking about. Behold. There it is again. Look right here. Don't miss this. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. If you have been seeking out what you should do and you feel like God is speaking to you, but you have not moved toward him, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Behold, this is the moment you've been waiting for. The fact that Jesus came 2,000 years ago, yes. That God pursued us for all eternity, basically, getting to this point, yes. And now, by the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart as you hear this message of reconciliation, today is a day to repent and believe in Jesus. And you may have thought, I've been there before. Maybe you thought, I've done that thing before. But if you are not looking more like Jesus than the first day you met him, if you're not looking more like Jesus over and over out throughout a year's time, you don't look a little bit more like Jesus than you did at first, then maybe you have gotten it wrong in your understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because he lays forth here that we're to be messengers of reconciliation. I'm not trying to bring doubt on you. I'm trying to help you if doubt is already upon you. And if you don't have doubt and you're not a Christian, then... Maybe I am going to bring down on you because you cannot put your hope in a prayer. You cannot put your hope in a baptism. You put your hope in the Savior who his name is Jesus. It's in a person. And if you are not spending time with him, if you are not living out the gospel commands he's given you to work with him, then you probably are not with him relationally, which means you're not a Christian. Today, though, is the day of salvation. Today you're hearing the fact that Jesus came and died for you for our sake. He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Of God, Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Because we've concluded that one has died, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's why Jesus says stuff like, you must pick up your cross and follow me. That's the gospel message to us. If you're really going to be my follower, you've got to die to self daily and follow me. Wear the cross. You've got to make much of God. You have to speak of his excellencies, namely in the person and work of his son Jesus, dying on the cross for you and for me. Brothers and sisters, let us not have received the grace in vain the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus. 
Hebrews 3, 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. That means proclaim the good news every day to one another. You see? Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he's talking about all those that were saved out of Egypt who said praise the Lord and then continued to rebel against him over and over and over again. Brothers, sisters, be reconciled to God. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the favorable time. And this is the Christmas for you to persuade your family and friends to be reconciled to God. Now is the time. It's the day to do it. It's the week to do it. It's the season to do it. Don't think I'll do it next Christmas when I've got a better understanding. This is the time he wants to work in you and through you to bring reconciliation to all your family. Oh, but what if we have a few questions about that, right? That's easy enough to hear, but how do I do that? What if I don't say the right things? That's okay. Jesus has made a promise to us by his Holy Spirit. In Luke 12, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. And you're saying, well, they're not going to kill me. Yeah, so why are we afraid of them? Because we're afraid that we're going to say something wrong. They'll laugh at us. They'll make fun of us. They won't talk to us. They'll dismiss us. He says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's why we see him saying back here in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, he says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You may think, well, I wouldn't deny Christ at the very time upon which we celebrate his arrival. If we do not speak of him, we are denying him. This is the truth. He says, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, or when they bring you before the other family members and make fun of you, or when they bring you before everybody else at the table and they call you out for bringing down the doldrums at a time that's supposed to be about celebration, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And let us just open our mouths and talk about how great it is that God would love us enough, even in our sinfulness, that he would love us enough to send his one and only son to save us. Maybe you say, you don't know my family, they're crazy. I can't even stand to be around them, you might be thinking. I get it. We've all got family like that. But we're instructed in the word, like in Hebrews 12, 14, to strive for peace with everyone. Listen. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's specifically talking about you being holy if you're not living in that 
relationship with God where you are made holy, you will not see the Lord. But what about how if you're not walking in those ways holy, that someone else may not come to know the Lord? Is that sin you've been delving into worth someone's soul for eternity? Is that bitterness in your heart that you're holding on to more important than the person that God loves so much that he sent his son in the world to save? And let us be mindful. Let us put on eternal eyes and see them as Jesus sees them. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Don't look at them as someone, a family member or a friend that you're mad about or you hate what they've done. Look at them as someone who loves you not, but whom you're to love. Because when you love Jesus not, he loved you. What if they think I'm crazy? That's possible. Probably some for more of us than others. Look at verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. You may be crazy compared to the rest of the world. He says, if I am out of my mind, if I'm insane, that's because of God and what he's done for me. And let them laugh at you because of your crazy rants. In a good, loving way, showing grace. Let them, let them laugh at you in that way. It's okay to be crazy, but if you're in your right mind, it's for them. If you're bringing things to that point, it's for them. You can go back and read Philippians 3, 7, and 8, where Paul says, everything I've gained before is nothing but dung. I count it as loss. Or in 1 Peter 2, he, he committed no sin. Jesus did no matter, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, God, who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so therefore, by the wounds you received, they might be healed as you are Christ in their midst as you bring the message of the gospel. Then let us be wounded for the sake of the souls of our families. Let us be reviled for the sake of the salvation of the souls of the people who we've known all our lives. Let us not be concerned if they cast things at us. What if it makes everybody feel uncomfortable? It will. It will. Because the moment you bring things to eternal perspective in the midst of people who are not eternally minded, it will make it uncomfortable. But remember that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. And we know that God has said, vengeance is mine. He says, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. So seek the Lord, we say with Isaiah, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Because he's given us Jesus. Well, what if it ruins my Christmas? What will ruin Christmas is if someone you've loved does not go to be with you forever in the presence of great joy with the Father. What will ruin your Christmas is if you look back and for the rest of your Christmases you look back and fail to give the gospel to someone 
who needed Jesus. You don't have that chance anymore. Let us not ruin Christmas by not living out the gospel. We have been bought and paid for. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And God wants to work through you. Jesus came to be with us, and now the Holy Spirit has brought him to reside in us. And now he wants to work with and through us to see all the folks that we come in contact with to know and love Jesus as well so we can all enjoy him forever. Let us, this Christmas, remember the presence of God in us everywhere we go that we might make much of him in our midst and lead others to know him as well. He might just change your Christmas. It will certainly change lives. Father, we need you to do that work in us. We are unable We have never been able, but Lord, you are able to do it in and through us. And Lord, I do not mean to guilt anyone into sharing the gospel. Lord, when we see how much you have loved us, it is the love you've shown us that controls us. Let us all lean into that and let us all make much of you everywhere we go. In the midst of heavy, crazy lines, in the midst of, uh, of cooking many things, in the midst of hanging out with people that talk about things that want to draw our hearts away from you, Lord. Draw us back and let us speak the good news of your gospel to your people for your glory and for our joy. Let us be reminded of your presence. Live in it, walk in it, and see you work through us. We ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen.